0: I'm actually amazed we've not had Nils on the show yet for, for some reason. So actually, we were overdue a catch-up, and then we realized he'd actually not been on the podcast yet. So let's do a catch-up on the podcast. Okay, so today I'm really happy to welcome on the Metaverse show, Nils Peel, who is founder and CEO of Alky Labs. It might feel quite informal, but that's that's how we're going to roll today. Welcome, Nils.
1: Thank you, Jamie. It's good to see you again.
0: So, Alky Labs is creating a pose mesh, not post pose mesh. did I pronounce that right? That's right. Decentralized protocol for a collaborative spatial computing. So we're going to figure out what the hell is this. This new term i always love a new term and so let's see if we can make it stick as i said you went through the base camp program some time ago you've been making great success so much so you're actually part of something called altitude which is where we kind of platform our top decile of, of teams based on traction been incredibly impressive watching you guys execute and navigate what is of course you know a otherwise challenging market but if you're in the, the right time right place and i think with what you guys are doing not so much So effectively, what you're enabling is a decentralized peer-to-peer positioning system, which will give every cubic millimeter an address to replace GPS, which we'll get into why that's important, why it's relevant. And I guess a lot of people aren't even really thinking that we're still using something as as simple, almost primordial, primordial as as the GPS system to enable a persistent and privacy-preserving metaverse. And actually from my perspective, when we invested in you guys initially, until you even ask the question, well, how do you enable for that level of kind of accurate volumetric positioning of stuff, in the metaverse, you realize it's just actually not possible until you solve that fundamental problem. And I know that's the core of what you're doing, but there's lots more associated to it. And you're on this kind of mission to help every person and device find their place in the world, literally. So let's let's meet Nils. Tell us about Nils. I always love hearing your, uh, your story. So I
1: was born in Sweden when I was very young, but I grew up on the internet. I spent most of my days online, time that I should have been in school, I was online, I was doing competitive gaming. And it got to the point where at around the age of 14, I realized my English was now better than my native Swedish. And around that time was also when I read uh, Snow Crash. I remember thinking how incredibly lucky I was to be living on the ground floor of the metaverse, you know, being a username, hanging out with other usernames on an internet that at the time was only full of people that had taught themselves how to use computers and the internet. Like there was no one around to teach you how to do anything. So the internet was this very exciting place of real-time communication and companionship and I fell neuro atypically in love with studying online behavior, like how do social interactions change online? How does status change online? How do people behave online? And ultimately, this led me towards competitive gaming, where I made predictive models of behavior and ended up training a clan that ended up winning four consecutive seasons of our little competition. And this landed me with my first adult mentors that turned me on to essentially. And that's where I found my my deep passion, looking at the world through the perspective of meme theory and where that intersects with technology. And this allowed me to work with some really incredible companies over the last 15 years. I've done everything from work on intracortical neural interfaces to help some of the world's largest social media platforms modify user behavior to build production data clusters with Fortune 100s. So it's been a, a wild ride. Today, I live in Hong Kong, where I've been for the last several years. And before that, I spent seven magical, sacred years in Beijing. So I'm I've come to terms with the fact that I'm probably... Uh, a full-on immigrant now in, in greater China, enjoying watching the future unfold.
0: Technically, you're an entrepreneur, you're a behavioral engineer, and you also say a social transhumanist. And I think as you begin to explain Alki is a protocol, but then also how you imagine it being brought to life. And I know you, you have some of your own ventures that are that are doing that, almost as first use cases. But let's start with the problem. So the problem is at the moment, we have GPS. Isn't that okay? Doesn't that do the job for, for today and, and what we need in the future?
1: GPS is amazing in many ways, but it has a couple of fundamental shortcomings that are unfortunately not fixable in principle. One is that GPS requires line of sight. And that has not started bothering the typical American or European yet because European and American cities are relatively small. But in larger urban environments that are better understood vertically than horizontally, you can't get line of sight to satellites. And the inaccuracy is already quite poor in a place like Beijing and in a place like Hong Kong. And also, GPS will never work indoors. So those are some pretty fundamental issues with positioning. But also, there are issues with accuracy in general. Like now in the metaverse era, when people are willing to dream big about how human-computer interaction is going to change over the years, a lot of people are imagining great things happening with augmented reality. But what we realized from a place of memetics is... Look, if you can't see the same augmented reality world, if you can't have the virtual things appear truly in the same position, it will always be a jarring and unpleasant experience. And from a mimetics point of view, we realize that probably what's missing for AR to take off is not necessarily better glasses, although that is probably a big a piece of the puzzle. But even if good glasses were on the market today, they still wouldn't take off if you couldn't have shared experiences. And we realized that what the bottleneck here, the reason we can't have shared experiences is because digital devices like this one have a very poor understanding of where they are. I'm on the 29th floor in a building here. There's no way my GPS... Uh, Knows that. It doesn't know I'm in this room. It barely knows I'm in this building. And if we're going to have a shared AR experience where we both see the same avatar right here, for example, our devices really need to know precisely where they are relative to each other. And this was, of course, the start of our first conversation, Jamie. We'd been reading with great amazement your open metaverse writing and saw that, okay, maybe there's an opportunity here to build something truly, truly beyond venture scale, because the metaverse will need a better positioning system. And there aren't that many alternatives on offer. And we believe that there's a bit of a Manichean, light versus dark, good versus evil kind of fight here. Because the default positioning system right now for precise things like shared AR is visual positioning or digital twins or spatial anchors. These are all names for the same kind of solution that are based on a centralized authority, the vendor, literally seeing what you see. The way that Pokemon Go, for example, does share AR is it asks you to send the data of what you're looking at to their server so they can compare what you're looking at to what the other player is looking at so you can figure out where you are. This is the exact opposite of privacy preservation. And if you believe, like we believe, that augmented reality will replace digital displays, Um, almost certainly within the next 30 years, does that mean we are walking by default into a world where companies like Facebook always know what we're looking at? And the answer, unfortunately, might be yes, unless we as a civilization really decide that that's not okay. So I think that the attempt to build a post-mesh However, that ends up taking shape. The concept of a decentralized protocol for collaborative spatial computing, rather than a central authority that surveils you, is the next big battlefront for the decentralization movement and something that any person that found the blockchain through ideology should look at very carefully.
0: One of the interesting things about you and your team is you've been very cautious to approach Web3. And we'll get into that a little bit. Like your journey as a founder, to a degree, you could say you almost came in as a cynic. Absolutely. And, I, and I know you've kind of gone on this journey and you still remain pragmatic, I would say, about how you approach it. But maybe before we get into that that journey for you as a founder, and, and ultimately that realization that to achieve the vision that you just described needs to be something that is Web3-like, or at least leveraging some of the innovations of Web3. But I always really liked how you described how this kind of social positioning is solved by, say, Pokemon Go and Niantic, how clunky and clumsy it is. Could you just describe that process for those people that haven't had kids and spent endless hours trying to make that work? Right.
1: So today, if you want to do a shared AR experience where you really see things in the same place, you're going to have to use a spatial anchor or visual positioning system. And the way that works specifically in Pokemon Go is I'll bring up a QR code on my screen and you will scan it. And now some instructions will appear on both of our phones. It'll say, please stand next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. So we do that and we both press next. And the next instruction comes, please point your cameras at an object in the distance together and we do that and we press next and uh, for the next part normally i would get out of my chair but i will i will spare you the noise for the next part they will ask you to slowly circle around the object together right and while you're doing this the visual data of what you're looking at is being streamed up to niantic servers so that niantic can compare your rgb feed to their Mass, I don't even want to say crowdsourced because that implies that like people were in on it, but they're massively crowd originated somehow a data set of what the world looks like. And depending on how modern your phone is and how fast your internet is and how good you're at following these instructions, you will be in a shared AR experience some 20 to 60 seconds later. And this is obviously such a huge barrier to entry that, true story, we managed to, for the first two, three months of us pitching, never come across a person that had finished doing this, which which was- Including us. Yes. And we had, when we contacted you, we had first, we had invented the world's first instant way to get into a shared AR session, where the only step that was remaining was the initial step, scan the QR code. We had invented a way to have the devices position themselves relative to each other rather than relative to the world instantly. Because we realized that, look, if we're gonna look at the same Pokemon or whatever, it doesn't really matter that I'm in Hong Kong. That's not what's important. Like intuitively, it seems like it does, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't. All we need to know is, are we drawing this thing in the same place? And the same place can be expressed as relative to each other. So yeah, that's where we were about, I guess, a year and a half ago. And since then, we were dragged kicking and screaming to the realization that Web3 would play play an integral part in making this privacy-preserving and decentralized. And we have gotten a really meaningful length of the way there. We now have a decentralized message passing system running already with community-run servers already that allows the spatial computing to happen with lower and lower and lower latency as more of these community hosts connect to the decentralized networking substrate we call HOGAL. That is the foundation of our vision of the PostMesh.
0: Before we go into PostMesh and, and, and kind of break it down technically, like what's happening, I think you're going to be able to do a demo, right? So for those listening on the podcast, they might not be able to, won't be able to see it, but we will have this, this is all recorded and put on YouTube. Are you you set up to do that? I
1: I could probably do a live demo, but it would be even easier, I guess, if I do a screen share and just kind of show you. Sure. Let's do that. Let me just pull up the right
0: presentation. So whilst he's doing that, for those of you that are listening on the podcast on iTunes or whatever, you can go to the Outlier Ventures YouTube channel. We put these up online, just search Nils Alki or by my name, you'll find a video. And we're probably, what are we? We're probably about 15 minutes in into that video, Mm -hmm. allowing for a few edits you want to fast fast forward to it.
1: so what would you rather see jamie would you want to see the moment of calibration or do you want to see a use case of this precise positioning?
0: let's do the moment of calibration okay. and then i think we can go into use cases and and how you kind of bringing that to life yes so i'm gonna
1: pull it up from our youtube that's what i'm gonna do okay so this uh demo was recorded live at a cafe in zagreb And it was one of the first times that me and my co founder of Matterless, which is our daughter company that makes post mesh enabled experiences, got to see our virtual pet in shared AR with the instant calibration. So everything you're about to see here is just recorded on a phone. There's no CGI, there's no trickery. Let's go. So. I'm sitting here playing with my pet and here's Damir and he wants to get in and all he's going to do is going to scan the QR code on my display. And just like that, the pet is right there in the world with centimeter position for him as well. So we can touch it together. We can experience it together. And when you can see these augmented reality things in the same place at the same time, they immediately feel so much more real. I am not ashamed to cry that both Daimer and I cried a few tears after this moment. It was an amazing triumph to actually have it work and to capture it on video like this. No bullshit, no CGI. This is the thing. This is what the post mesh enables.
0: How does that scale? So let's say there's a social object, how many people could simultaneously watch that? Uh, well, maybe interact with it is one thing, because I know they're interactive, and then maybe the next layer out is, is just observe.
1: So scalability is a very multifaceted question. I could answer both thousands and dozens to that question, and it depends on what you mean by by scalability. When the devices want to communicate things about the world to each other, and they're doing that several times a second, if you have eight participants in a session, for example, each device, let's say that they do 20 updates per second, each device is going to send 20 updates per second, and the relay is going to receive those. But the relay also has to send every message to eight minus one participants. So you get this massive bottleneck if you're trying to update everybody on what you're doing. But if you're just consuming something, like if you're just watching a content, like a concert, or you're you're consuming something, you don't necessarily even have to be on the same PostMesh server. You don't have to be sharing information with each other. So it depends on what kind of experience you want to make. The positioning is kind of orthogonal to the networking. And how scalable the networking is, is dependent on what kind of solution you're trying to build.
0: I don't know which demo you were going to show, but I remember the one with the cars, right? And that's like, you're yeah, playing in it, a socially interactive game. I can't remember how many players it was, but it was a handful of players, I think, right? With Racing a car, social AR objects around a track real time.
1: My favorite demo of this is this one, if I if I could share this one with you, a video I'm I'm I'm, I'm very pleased with. This was also shot in Zagreb the, the same summer. This is just a little bit of a preamble of me explaining that there's, you know, nothing in my sleeve, this kind of thing. And I start up another app made by Madalus, this racing game made with the Conjure Kit SDK. So here I'm playing. I've started playing. If you see there's a little car there, and I'm going to expose my QR code. And the camera that's recording, which is a phone, gets calibrated in, right? So and then Damir is going to calibrate in. So now the camera can see the car. It can see Damir's car when he spawns in as well. So these are three devices playing together. No bullshit, no CGI. This is the real deal. Be proud moment of this as well. You can look for the Conjure Kit live demo. And now we have several dozen people making experiences like this with our SDK. And we're also releasing some products of our own, focusing on retail, which is something we're very excited about.
0: Let's jump to the retail one, then we can be done with videos, because I think it just shows the, the breadth, right? These, these are all very fun. I mean, I, I would dare anybody to not be impressed by you know what, what we've just seen. But then if you think about that in a retail and a commerce perspective, it might look a bit drier but i think no no less as transformational so maybe we we show that retail use case and then and then we can go into a little bit more about technically what's happening there of um, course and, and and what what could that mean moving forward
1: so a little preamble for retail as um as i know outlier knows e-commerce has been eating physical retails lunch for the last two decades and i think a lot of that comes down to e-commerce having three particular features, three powers that can't be replicated in physical retail. One is e-commerce just has superior discovery. The, The way that you get exposed to new products and things that you might potentially buy is way better online than in a physical store, because discovery in a physical store ultimately means how many products can be at eye level and how long can we make you walk through the store like this is a very brute force approach to discovery and not a great way to get exposed to new things so that's a huge benefit that e-commerce has right and the other is search mm-hmm. right if you're if you are a mission driven shopper and you know what you're looking for but you don't know where where to find it you have two options you either have a awkward social interaction with a retail worker that is not super happy to talk to you and you're not super happy to talk to them or you walk around aimlessly but with your male pride intact while you look for the wasabi green peas that your wife asked for right anytime that's assuming
0: that that person can even help you find it anyway right because
1: yeah and You know, in in my home country of Sweden, the typical wage for a grocery store worker is $15 an hour. So you know, quick napkin calculation shows that every time old Betty goes to ask a question of the staff, you know, that costs them something on the order of 30 cents. So it's a, a search is a painful interaction for both the shopper and the physical retailer and of course e-commerce just dominates this because you just type in what you're looking for and it'll tell you where it is in e-commerce it'll take you there and the third thing that e-commerce can do that physical retail can't do is personalization even though you and i have very different interests we will see exactly the same offers when we go into tescos and this is again a very uh brute force approach so what we realized is that augmented reality makes it possible for physical retailers to get these three things into physical retail. And let's have a little seeing is believing moment here. I'm going to share my screen again. You probably don't get the audio of these. So I'm just going to talk over it. But this is my colleague, Neil, who is our head of product for retail. And this is in a grocery store in Hong Kong where we shot this guerrilla marketing video. We just snuck in here and set up up the system while, while we were in there. It's so easy to set up. Neil scans in through a QR code that gives him his position on the post mesh. And he's looking to shop for bolognese tonight. So the store shows him again, none of this is CGI, this is recorded live. Shows him where the different products that he might want to buy are and even gives him recommendations in white. You know, maybe you should get some Parmesan for your bolognese. And uh, yeah, I just want to stress again that we snuck into this store and set this system up in a matter of minutes. So these guys are not actually a a customer. They are just in our office building. So we (laughs) snuck down there to record this video. But what's, what's great with this system is that it's easy enough to set up that the store personnel can do it themselves. And it doesn't involve a digital twin of the store. It doesn't involve us having a copy of where all the items are. We don't get any of the sensitive data. We just really give you this nice empty canvas where you can own your own virtual real estate, actually, because we are the positioning protocol. We we make it possible and you can have better discovery, better search. You can have personalizations. So every customer walking into the store can have in my opinion, the best parts of e-commerce while still retaining the best parts of go of Retail. And as soon as we started showing the demo videos for this, demand started popping off. And I think we are hopefully on track to have our first 2000 retail locations up and running before the end of summer. So I'm, I'm really excited.
0: Oh, very cool. Well, that's uh, some good news, some alpha drop. Let's talk about what's technically happening here at a protocol level, let's talk about your journey as a founder in understanding the applicability or relevancy of Web3 and the Web3 stack to solving that problem.
1: In 2019, I had just left a company where I was the director of data. I was helping figure out why people do the things they do. Didn't get along with that company, wanted to do something very, very new. And I gave in to my passion of warhammer. And I wanted to make an augmented reality tool for tabletop gaming, which I thought was a brilliant idea at the time and I still do today, but I ran into the difficulty, you know, you alluded to this, most people including me don't realize the limitations of the GPS. When we released the first version of our product, the player said, "Look, I need to be able to see what the other guy is seeing or I can't trust that he's not cheating. If he's going to be making measurements, I need to see them." It's like, okay, so now we need to have shared AR with millimeter precision so that the super hardcore Warhammer players that care enough about this to give us 30 bucks for a virtual measuring tape can see each other's measure- measurements and realize, oh my God, there's no technology for this. There is, and we can't do like spatial anchors because what, every time we make a measurement, we're going to do this one minute physical dance to get calibrated, like completely untenable. And rather than doing the sensible thing of giving up and getting a job, we <laughs> doubled down to try to solve this. And when we had the instant calibration technique, we knew that, okay, now we're onto something. Something can happen here. And we asked you guys very kindly to to back us. And we started designing a, a grander vision for how the GPS could really be replaced and what it would take. And what we wanted to do was to build a peer-to-peer positioning system where no central authority is spying on you. That wasn't the vision from day one. It took a while for us even to realize the like very powerful but bad position we were putting ourselves in as protocol designers. And you guys and Jahan at Kinetic Capital were very helpful in trying to explain decentralization to us. And as an entrepreneur, I was not ready to listen at the time. I remember we had very heated exchanges about whether or not there was any merit at all to decentralization or Web3 or tokens or any of it. But by October that year, we realized that, okay, if we can't be the ones running this entirely, if we can't have all of the servers owned by us, then we need to be able to find some way to compensate people for participating in the post-mesh. Not only that, we realized that there was a great competitive advantage to decentralizing the post-mesh, not just like from, from an ethical point of view, but from a technical point of view. because if you are going to do collaborative spatial computing or if if you're going to have a shared AR session, latency, ping time becomes more important than any mainstream internet application. Right? As a competitive gamer, I was exalted if I had a 20 millisecond ping time. That's fantastic. 20 milliseconds in shared AR, if you see me pick up a virtual item, that's what that looks like. Like that's just deeply jarring you need a ping time reliably of probably less than eight milliseconds. That's what it will take for you to be able to do you know, a post calculation within the span of a single frame if you're running at 120 hertz. And if you want to have such low ping times, there are two paths that you can go. Either you bypass the internet altogether and you make the devices speak directly peer to peer. And Apple and Google are not so fond about those kinds of approaches. Governments are not so fond about those kinds of approaches. So we kind of filed that in the sci-fi for now bucket. So what's the other alternative? The other alternative is you have to make the shortest possible path on the internet, meaning you should connect to a hyper local server. Like not, oh, You'll connect to the UK server and I'll connect to the Southeast Asia server. No, 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 no. If you're having a co located experience, if we're in the same place, we should be connecting to a server that's ideally like in our neighborhood. And that's technically possible. But what kind of human organization can do that, can maintain maybe millions, right? Of these micro servers. We realized that if we could do this, if we could get millions of microservice out into the world, we could get the kind of latency that is necessary, but we can't do that as an organization. If we decentralize this, it becomes possible. So we spent several months, luckily, diving into what our real strengths are, which is distributed computing and scalable systems. And we built this messaging framework called Hagel which means like hail storm in old norse because we thought it's cool that it sends tiny little messages very fast so hagel and hagel is an incredibly lightweight server it's so lightweight that our CTO is running a node on his router at home not on a computer on his router right it's an incredibly light piece a lightweight piece of code that works with a couple of assumptions one is it's not for thousands of people having an experience together I don't necessarily think that's how people want to engage with AR. I think people probably want to have private channels and, and have their own filters. And There's going to be millions, billions of network sessions 10 years from now that are for users or less, and we can make those hyper-local. And it doesn't require any like specific hardware. This can run on ubiquitous computing, like things we have at home. It can run on your router. It can run on your smart TV. It can run on your laptop while you're working. And we can, in that way, increase the utilization rate of all of this compute that's already out in the world, right? Do for compute what Airbnb did for apartments, while simultaneously providing essentially the lowest theoretically possible ping time that you could get on the internet. And when we saw that light, it was like, I had to, as we say in Swedish, crawl to the cross and admit that I had given Web3 an unfair shake. And I had to swallow my pride and start designing the tokenomics for building a decentralized post mesh, and haven't looked back since.
0: I think now you know potentially about to contribute very significantly to that web3 technology stack as well so let's let's just talk about the term pose mesh why that what does it mean i know given given the thought that you put into memetics that that would have either it came to you instantly or you've you've ground that away over several sessions so so why that what does it mean taking everything that you've just described into account what will this enable in the short, mid to long term?
1: Postmesh, uh, it's the latter. It took a long time to to find the right word for this. And I want to stress that like it's not our brand. It's not our trademark. We're not trying to own it. We're trying to bring this concept, this type of solution into the public consciousness. And by all means, compete with us, build a better Postmesh if you can, because the world genuinely needs one. But Postmesh is made up of two words, post. Which is the technical term for something's position and orientation, like its rotation. So not just where is it at XYZ, but where is it facing, which is a very important part of doing things like shared AR. And mesh, of course, which we felt captured the decentralized nature of the network. Technically, it's polycentrically decentralized meaning it's not an evenly distributed mesh. It goes through these hyper-local message relays. So it's it's polycentrically decentralized. And we felt that once you know what a post is and you know what a mesh network is, you'll remember what a post mesh is. A post mesh is a network of devices that are trying to calculate their posts that are doing so collaboratively. That's what a, a mesh is. We're building, in our opinion, the first one. If someone's been building something like this before us, we'd be super excited to learn more about it. And again, it's not our trademark. We're not trying to own it. We hope that this will be a word in the public consciousness, the same way that blockchain is a word. A mesh is something that we should really hope gets built and succeeds, because otherwise it seems like the only alternative is Mark Zuckerberg knowing what we're looking at at all times. And even though I'm sure he's a nice guy, I prefer to be the only one looking at my wife at home.
0: So, thanks for that explanation. Everyone's kind of looking at Apple and Apple glasses as the breakthrough moment for AR, for AR to mainstream. But actually, you could make the argument it's something like this, something like Pose Mesh. Which would actually catalyze the developer community to begin to be able to make social experiences, because ultimately it's the content and the experience that draws people in. It's why you know social apps have that kind of exponential growth. It's the thing that sucks people into adopt new technologies. This likely could could be it, right? Even an advance of being able to have that somehow strapped to your face. But in theory, everyone's quite comfortable with their phone. The phone is more than capable of providing some brilliant experiences. I mean, I guess you feel the same, right?
1: I obviously believe that AR glasses will replace displays eventually, but I don't think that AR glasses is a sufficient condition for AR to take off. I believe that AR will never take off before it becomes something that you can experience together because quite frankly, it it feels weird to be the only one inside of an experience. It doesn't feel great touching your virtual pet if no one else can see it. Even if Apple released a pair of preposterously lightweight AR glasses tomorrow, and they're so stylish and so beautiful, and they're 50 bucks each. I still don't think AR would take off until you have solved
0: So let's kind of begin to wrap up and, and talk about, you mentioned something like a big retail partner or, or several for distribution. I want to talk about Mattelis quickly, just because my daughter will kill me if I don't. She's, she's very frustrated that she still doesn't have her digital pet since I showed it her some time ago. So when does Satya get that digital pet? Because like, honestly... I'm just going to put her onto you if this continues. And then can we talk about some of the exciting things that you've got going on this year about bringing all this to life?
1: So Matterless is working on two core main products right now, both with the mission to kind of prove to the world that digital things can feel real. We're picking up the torch where we feel that the NFT movement left off. The NFT movement showed that digital things can be assets, which is cool, but it didn't necessarily convince people that they feel real. And that's what we want to do. The, the two products were the main things that that we've announced and that people can see if they, if they visit us is the racing game Floorcraft, which we saw in a demo today. And of course, the pets Incos, short for incorporeals, as we also saw in the demos today. And we've been somewhat humbled by the challenge to make the behavior of the pet feel convincing. Like once we had brought the thing into the world so it felt real, it still wasn't super compelling. Luckily, we we found a, a a really nice friend in the company Virtual Beings recently who have for the last nine years obsessively been working on how do you make virtual things feel real from the point of behavior And, you know, over the last months or so, Matterless has been very focused together with Aoki. How do we make them feel real real in terms of materializing in the world together? And just the other day, I got to try the, or try is a strong word, I got to experience the first product that Virtual Beings and mataless has touched on together. I'm not quite sure when this will hit the app store. What I can say is that Matterless still has three years of runway. So within three years, we we will release this. But we want it to be magical. And it's getting there. Floorcraft, the racing game, is in a public beta on the iOS app store right now. You can find uh, Floorcraft Arena and play it with your friends. It's completely free right now. So... Play that with your kids to your heart's delight. Play it with your friends as a drinking game. It's fantastic. The pets need some more love before they can be as disruptive as I think they can be.
0: All right. So we're just going to have to get my my daughter a test account because honestly, I can't wait three years. This is, I get asked every two months out of nowhere. She's just on the sofa and she said, like, Well, what's going on with that, the, the digital pet? I'm like, Don't worry. You know, they're busy. They're, Obviously, she doesn't understand that it's a business. It takes time to. She's just expecting the game to be delivered. But we'll. So we we'll need to go in a test net.
1: Her her expectation makes me more anxious than you. Yeah. You, you imagine. i I Good. want Good. her to have this. But before <laughs> we before we wind up, there, yeah. there is a a little napkin calculation that I'm not sure that you and I ever went over, but I'd I'd like to share it with the listeners to explain outside of augmented reality why positioning matters. And it has to do with self-driving cars. Have, Have I told you this story before?
0: No, no, let's do it.
1: All right. So I lived in Beijing for seven years and Beijing has more cars on the road than there are people living in Los Angeles, right? Like Beijing is a big city and the average commute for a Beijinger is two hours. If you do the quick napkin math you find that somewhere on the order of 2000 years of human productivity is lost in Beijing traffic every day, right? 2000 years of human productivity is lost in Beijing traffic every day. Now, if you are a fan of Tesla and Elon, maybe you'll say at this point, yeah, but self-driving cars will fix this. Self-driving cars will drive through traffic and coordinate with each other, and there won't be any need for red lights, and we'll be driving at 200 miles an hour through a city. Sure, if, and only if, the cars are capable of communicating their position and speed through space accurately at low latency. If they can't do that, which today they cannot and it cannot be done of the GPS, it is impossible in principle to have the cars coordinate. So if you want to try to get back the 2000 years of human productivity that are lost in the city of Beijing alone every single day. You need a post mesh.
0: I mean, having been in Beijing traffic, I can that, that intuitively that that makes sense. And of course, Elon Musk listens to this podcast religiously, so I'm sure he'll be in touch very soon. Niels, it's great to catch up. Super excited as to what's coming next. I have an answer for my daughter. It's not what she wants to hear, but at least we've got got an answer. I'll how send her some
1: pe- uh, videos of, of of where we are now. I'll send them yeah. to you, and she can see what the latest pet is like and how it behaves. Hopefully, she'll right. she'll love it.
0: That might that might keep keep the wolves at the door. How do people get in touch with you to collaborate? Where can they download stuff to test?
1: Tell them. They can go to aukeylabs.com, of course. They can chat with me on our Discord, They're just discord.gg slash That's where they can find find me. But also I'm at brood sugar on Twitter. I answer all my messages still. We'll see how, how long I'm able to do that. And also, if you are lucky enough to be invited to Outliers Altitude event in a couple of days, I'll be there as well.
0: We've still not met in person, have we?
1: We have not. No.
0: Yeah. Okay. We need to fix that.
1: Yeah, I'm coming Maybe. to Europe end of February,
0: I think. Oh, okay. Well, then you need to let me know. I'm traveling a little bit beginning and mid, but I should be back by then. So let's let's make make that happen.
1: I'll challenge you to a game of floorcraft.
0: All right, let's do it. No, thanks right. for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. This is fun.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.